fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And tonight we have an episode talking about expansions. So expansions to board games and kind of what makes a good one, what we don't like in expansions. And then we got some recommendations for you. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited for this one. Absolutely. And we are, uh, we're expanding our team a little bit. We have a, we have a very special guest, uh, the board game critic, who's a friend <laughs> of ours from um, the Gateway Network, who will be joining us in a little bit. Yeah, so he'll be joining us here in a second, and we'll have him kind of talk about what he does a little bit more. But before that, we are drinking. So, Dalton, what's on your flight tonight? On my flight, so I am drinking a Valentine's Day gift um, from my from my girlfriend. She got me Last Feather Rye Whiskey from Journeyman Distillery, um, which Journeyman we had visited before. They're in Michigan. They're just a little bit north of us, and so we had gone up there and gotten a tour and everything. Um, so it's one that I had tasted before, but... Um, I hadn't had the chance to actually enjoy. This whiskey is, it's a rye whiskey. It's 60% rye um, and 40% wheat in the mash. And so that's kind of like the two opposite ends of the spectrum with the spice coming from the rye and like the ultra sweetness coming from the wheat. In the in the nose, it has kind of like a like a grassy or a grainy smell. Um, and that definitely kind of comes through um, in the taste. It has like also a little bit of like a red wine kind of like tannin taste. Um, and then it's very strong vanilla. Like it almost ends up feeling like a blend of just like bourbon and rye together. Um, for that, that sounds good though yeah it is really good and it has a finish that's kind of like the peppery rye with like a little bit of tabasco almost kind of taste going on oh so wow I, okay <laughs> yeah i've been i've been enjoying it a lot um over the last couple of days during our uh, during like our steak dinner together and that sort of thing so so uh what kind of cheers are you going to give this one not knowing the price i think i would put it tentatively at, at a four cheers um, because i do really enjoy it oh nice yeah yeah and it i think probably because it is kind of giving me that half rye half uh bourbon flavor and I like that it's not getting too much into like the it's it's like I said it's sort of like this grainy or floral take on a rye, um, as opposed to like a really a really spicy one or something like that. It still has the spice again in the finish, but it's just kind of a slightly different take, you know. It's and it's interesting. So I think especially something that I would enjoy like sharing with people and kind of showing like here's why rye can taste different, and this is like one end of a spectrum that I think maybe isn't as often kind of explored. Yeah, that sounds really good. Is it for sure? Is it? You said it's kind of more on the sweet side, like the mm-hmm. vanilla. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel more vanilla or more spice when you're drinking it? Um, still more spice, um, for the sure. Vanilla, the vanilla Tabasco. That just sounds horrible. I'm not gonna lie to you, but like, <laughs> but it's I don't know. Fine. Maybe Tabasco is too strong of a um, too strong of a descriptor. Um, it sends people too many people to a bad place. I think when you it, like when I talk about like in the taste it being like vanilla and grainy, think like. Like I, I had read a review that compared it to banana bread. I thought that was a good description of like something that is both grainy oh, but also okay. sweet. Yeah. And then in the like aftertaste is where the um, kind of the spice comes in. Oh, cool! Happy Valentine's Day. That's a good. That's a good gift. <laughs> it I'm is a good gift. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> what about you? So I, I am drinking a new bourbon that I went out in the middle of the blizzard yesterday to go get for this episode, mm. and it's called Old Bardstown. So it's a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. I got I picked it up for a couple of reasons. One, the bottle looks cool. It had this like wax seal, which I know like a lot of them do, but this was my first one that I bought with the wax seal, so that was yeah. taking it off. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, it it's a sour mash, um, which I which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. I can't like pull out what's what it actually like smells like yet. So I looked it up, mm-hmm. um, and it says it has notes of clover and honey and. Now that I read that, I can definitely 
smell the honey. It's yeah. very like, and it is a very sour whiskey, which is very interesting. I'm not sure if I love it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's just different. And so we'll, we'll see how it goes. The other reason that I kind of picked it up is that this is this was bottled in or distilled in Kentucky, bottled in old Bardstown. And Bardstown in Kentucky is in Nelson County, which is, well, <laughs> is awesome. Nice. Uh, but also, uh, we, we used to do a lot of bike rides. And there was one annual bike ride that always ended in Bardstown Road with a huge hill at the very end of the ride. So I have oh, very yeah. fond memories and remember Bardstown very clearly. So <laughs> when, I, when I saw that, I thought that, you know, just, you know, it was a, it's a good one. Plus, you know, it was a little bit different than what I'm normally drinking. Like the rye, it's, it's definitely more sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think I was reading it like it has kind of a hint of a cinnamon flavor, which I can tell. Okay. So it, it's interesting. I think right now this is probably at a two cheers for me, though. Mm-hmm. It's this is the first time I've actually tried it. I, I didn't try it before the episode. Okay. But it's kind of jarring almost. I, I think that's a good word for it. But mm. now that I'm a couple of sips in, I'm starting to get like, okay, like I can see it feels like what you were saying about scotch, where it's kind of the acquired taste. But like. Okay. I could see how you could acquire a taste like this, probably just like for like sour beers, where yeah, um, you know, some people like it off the first, but a lot of people they when they keep drinking it, you know, they get there. But so yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so that's what I'm drinking, Old Very Bardstown. Cool. Um, Very cool. So, so I know that I like know. the term yeah. sour mash in a whiskey is it doesn't it, it doesn't necessitate that the like whiskey tastes sour in a, in a way, if that makes right. sense. Are you tasting something that is like slightly sour for a whiskey? I know whiskey's never gonna taste like fully sour. Um, or is it is it more just like kind of like funky or it, it I think that there are hints of sour in it. Um, okay. So and I'll I'll bring this one next time we see each other because I'm interested yeah. to see what you think about it. Mm-hmm. But it it feels almost like it has a twinge of a scotch aftertaste. Okay. And so that that's kind of what I'm picturing as like the sour taste. It's not like pucker my lips sour but it it feels mm-hmm. kind of just like off and like like i think that's the best way to describe that taste <laughs> okay yeah i've heard so. that like it comes from a similar process as like making sourdough bread oh um, okay which is like where the name kind of like comes from yeah on, on like a you know like on a brewing scale or like a yeast control scale like i think they might like take a like how you take with sourdough how you like take a portion of it to like make the next dough i think they do that with sour mash Whiskeys, oh, if I remember oh, that's right. cool. Like, that they like save a portion of the mash and like that ferments the next one kind of, or seeds the next one kind of thing. Oh, very cool. So it's been passed down for generations. Right. In the Armstrong I'm drink, family. I'm drinking the burb. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you got that. Uh, I'm drinking the bourbon my great grandfather drank. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't had a ton of sour mash uh, whiskey, so I'm excited to try it with you. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll bring it. So we uh, we finished our fight. So let's go ahead and bring in uh, McKay, the board critic, for our expansion or our discussion on expansions. So McKay has now joined us. So welcome, McKay. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, awesome. So McKay, you are the board game critic, or your Instagram username is the board critic. Dalton and I had a little debate right before the episode on which one it was, and I looked it up, and it turns out we were both right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so. I, th- I think the, the <laughs> official title is The Board Game Critic. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And that's purely for SEO purposes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? What's your history? Um, I know you got an Instagram. So tell, tell us some more about what you're doing. All right. Um, it's kind of a weird, uh, scattered, riddled history. Um, back when I started college, I 
I either wasn't aware of Board Game Geek or it wasn't as big of a thing um, as it is now. And I was like, you know what? I just want to like create my own list of like all the games I've heard of and all the games I've played. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I started a website called The List of Board Games. Uh, <laughs> and the goal was just to list literally every board game in existence. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can imagine how naive I was about it. Uh, <laughs> and so it actually went really well. Uh, it didn't take long for Rio Grande Games to reach out to me and offer me games to review and stuff and add to my list. Oh, awesome. So I was like, oh, if nothing else, I get free games. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, after college, uh, I graduated in industrial design and I went to work for Hasbro designing board games. And because of that, I had to shut everything down because Hasbro yep. then owned my soul. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I, I had sold out to the corporate, the corporate world and I really enjoyed working at Hasbro. I worked there for three and a half-ish years, I think. And then just a mixture of creative differences, family circumstances, stuff like that. Um, I left Hasbro. Maybe I just got sick of designing uh, like 20 Monopoly games a year. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, I, I made the choice to move back here to Utah to be closer to family. Um, kind of switched industries. I now work as a UX UI designer during the day. And at night, I do my own board game stuff. Awesome. So I started the Board Game Critic kind of just to revive, like, hey, maybe I can get free games. I like to rant about board games. <laughs> there you go. You know, and that's kind of evolved. Um, and now if you look up Backfire Games, um, Backfire Games Studio, me and a colleague that also worked at Hasbro once upon a time have joined forces. And I guess that's kind of like the next adventure. I'm going to keep the Board Game Critic thing going um, because it's fun. I run brackets, um, just talk about board games and try and make an inclusive environment for everybody in the board game space. Yeah. But really, I think the next adventure is publishing games um, in the hopefully not so distant future. We have one in the works and actually we have like three or four in the works. But, you know, art development takes time and stuff. <laughs> is it in the level of development where you can give us a little preview of what it's going to be? Um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about it. So um, we had we had a game that was higher in complexity. And I was like, we were looking at import costs, tariffs, and uh, customs fees, and all of that kind of stuff. And I was like, if we do a big game for our first one, miscalculate something, like we mm. could destroy ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so we're like, you know what? Let's do a simple kind of entry level game that just kind of explore some of our hobbies showcases some of our artistic abilities because me and my uh partner matt we both are artists and so we mm. kind of uh, tag team the art he's a little bit better at it and i'm a little bit better at the gameplay which makes us there you go. a couple but so basically what it is um it's a fairly unique uh it's called the well maybe i shouldn't tell you the title i haven't discussed that <laughs> <laughs> unilateral decision <laughs> lock lock it in right now lock it do it <laughs> this could be really bad um we've actually changed the, the name a couple times but basically what it is is it's a really fast-paced game of running around this dungeon destroying like killing monsters and trying to get plun like a plunder mm -hmm. or loot sounds like everything i love i don't exactly <laughs> so already. Already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing i wouldn't say there's like anything like amazingly unique to the theme or the concept uh, we tried to take a lot of um, more advanced gaming strategies and boil them down into a very introductory level game that people can um, really just kind of get on mm. board with in a quick way. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great idea. Kind of like that almost gateway game. 
type feel to kind of get like tease some of the uh the harsher mechanics to like bring people into the hobby trick them into uh becoming board game fans <laughs> i love it all about tricking i have a whole list of like games to like trick yes <laughs> yes <laughs> that's awesome so i actually i did not realize that you were part of backfire oh yeah yeah, no, I, I like followed them. I was like, oh, cool, yeah. And I did not realize that was you. Like, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to uh, like damage my like the board game critic by like over um, over advertising for bad yeah. games. And so I was like, eh, you know what? I'll do like an initial plug, and then it's it's kind of funny how many people just kind of find by keyword and stuff when yep. it's just like we have a lot of other publishers and stuff follow us. Yeah, and yeah, we don't post much on there. So eventually we'll get like, as artwork development actually starts getting dialed in and stuff, we'll start posting more of the artwork yeah. and development stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited to, uh, to try it out. I'll definitely try it. Cause I, I do, I do mm-hmm. love a good gateway game. I'm all, we, we actually just put out an episode talking about what we like about gateway games. And that was it. If you can find a mechanic that's kind of boiled down so that you can you know, show it to your friend and like, Oh, you like this. Cool. You'll also yeah. like this and then just kind of like build them up and then get to play the games that we want to play. But yeah, no, that, that's really exciting. Um, so the board game critic, you I know I saw that you're doing right now. And this this episode, just for your reference, will be released a week from Thursday. Um, so I don't know if the bracket that you're doing right now is still going to be going on. It might be in like the finals of the bracket by that point. Okay. We'll, we'll slow down after we like plow our way through this first round. Um, and then, yeah, we may be somewhere in like the very final stages of it, if not starting the next one, which I'm super excited. <laughs> <about that. laughs> Do you get to tell us the next one or is that? Let me double check the username. You know, beers, boards, and beards, beers, boards, yes. and beards. I think I got that in the right order. Those may be shifted around. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he reached out to me and said like, hey, I'd love to um, do a bracket with you at some point, which it's fun to kind of see this like snowballing effect where people like kind of see what I'm doing. They're like, ooh, I want to do that next. Yeah. So he jumped on and said, hey, I would I would like to be involved in this. And I said, okay, what can we do to give it a unique spin? And he was like, well, my account's all about beers, which I don't drink beer, but um, I'm happy to let him handle that half of it. <laughs> and um, so we kind of settled on foods i mean uh games that kind of feature food and drink oh cool okay so it's gonna be we've kind of i've i've kind of made the decision that it has to be just what's your what's the better game or what's mm-hmm. the game that you like more anytime you try like what we're doing now with like what has the best take that mechanic it just gets really mm-hmm. hairy yes it does yeah they just tend to vote for like what they like more or it it just isn't mm-hmm. a true show of anything Mm-hmm. It's still fun, but it's just not. A very <laughs> so we're going to do games that feature food and drink um, at their forefront, not just that have food and drink in them, but kind of <laughs> make it a central part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we got a uh, we got a sponsor. So Gap Closer Games is uh, going to send the winner um, a copy of uh, Rival Restaurants. So Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a that's one of the ones that popped in my mind when you said the theme. I was like, ooh, Rival Restaurants. Yeah, that's a good one. So that's awesome that you got a sponsor. Yeah, it's been a fun format, just like getting a getting a sponsor and then getting to showcase mm-hmm. like their game against other games in a similar category or theme. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I I will vote for whoever puts Food Chain Magnate the entire way. That's, that's just-, <laughs> <laughs> just locking that in now. Lock, locking that one in right there. So, so 
Thank you for coming on. So let's let's transition into our main topic for tonight, which is which are expansions. So expansions to board games and kind of what we like. So I, I assume if you're listening to the podcast, you know what an expansion is. But just in case, I'll go ahead and describe it. If, if you have a main game, which is pretty much anything that you could buy and you could play by itself, so, uh, a lot of the times publishers or designers will put out expansions which add to the content, change up the gameplay, or things like that. And so I, I'm a sucker for expansions. I think we talked a little bit in our last episode how I do love expansions. I like just buying games and playing games. But I do really like expansions. So... I want to open it up, Dalton uh, McKay. What what do you like in an expansion? What do you look for? What do you want in expansion? Yeah, I'll, I'll start there. I I I think first of all, we, and we may have mentioned it briefly, but like you said, expansions often feel like a safer investment, you know, because it's it's likely going to be about a game that I already enjoy um, and, and already own, um, and it's a way to kind of. For me, if a game is getting maybe a little bit stale or not seeing as much playtime, um, it can be a way to kind of like reinvigorate that game. Um, you know, I think we find ourselves often if it's a first play for a game. This isn't always true, but often um, it's a, if we're introducing it to someone else for the first time. Lots of time we we leave a lot of components of an expansion out um, because they can like add right. complexity yep. or they can add you know just new elements and you and you don't want to teach too much of the game at one time. Um, but for like, you know, people like us who play the same game, like over and over and over again, an expansion can, can add a lot to your, I guess, replayability. Um, so there, I think there are a couple different types of expansions and, um, which maybe we can identify which these are as we go through our recommendations. But I think what I, I always want to look for one that's not trying to fix something. I, I always get really nervous about an expansion that claims like fixes something that was broken in the first place. And yep. Yep. That's just like, okay, now I'm sinking around $70 into this thing that maybe wasn't <laughs> yep. great to begin with. Like that that worries me if it's mm-hmm. if it looks like it's trying to fix. But the the ones that offer variety, if I I think when you look at like a money poured in to amount of entertainment that you got out of it, board games are one of the best investments for your time versus 100%. Time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like I can tell you like I the first week I got Quacks of Quedlinburg, I probably played it enough that it was, I mean, costing me like a dollar a day by the end of it. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And so the idea of like buying something that breathes variety into the game and extends that completely worth it because then it's just multiplying on your initial investment and giving you even more time and more entertainment out of the same thing. So that's that's one big thing that I look for, but I don't want to buy that expansion until I'm sure that the original game can tap out eventually. So if you have a game that you thought that you would like and it ended up you didn't love the base game, would you be more interested or less interested in the expansion at that point? I would say less interested. I don't know about where you guys live, but I can sell an, a board game pretty easily, um, probably for around the price I paid for it, maybe five or ten dollars less. But instead yeah, okay. of like, there are so many board games that I'm interested in. Why would I pay thirty dollars to fix a game that was so-so when I could sell it and probably pay around the same amount to get a good to get a game that was good in the first place? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great philosophy. Yeah, I. I think I'm kind of with you like there. So I, I have played Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Have you played that game? I haven't. So it's a Simon Luciani game where like people love it. It's top 75 on board game geek. It just didn't click for me. 
And whenever I would post about it or talk about it, people were like, oh, the expansion makes it so much better. I was like, yeah, but I didn't really like it to begin with. And so, <laughs> so it's like, okay, I could spend, like you were saying, like 40 bucks on the expansion or I'll trade this away or sell it and then go because there are, what, 18,000 board games? How, how big did your list get, by the way? Your uh, the board game list. <laughs> Did you get up to the eighteen thousand? Eighteen thousand? I don't even know. <laughs> I should have kept the count. I kind of wish I could go back, look at it, and read it, but it just kind of like disappeared into the interwebs and mm-hmm. just is yeah. gone now. But oh yeah. man, that's sad. But yeah, no, I I totally agree. Yeah, and I think you, you have a good point about trying to fix something. I think if it's a fix, it should if it can, it should be an errata, right? Like it's like, don't try and sell me something like you screwed your game up, just <laughs> release an errata and fix it. Right. Um, there are some like that are too, like I think of, um, I think of viticulture with like Tuscany, right. Which Nelson introduced me to viticulture playing with the Tuscany expansion. And we, we like joked about it on the podcast before that for the longest time, I didn't know that like it was an expansion. I just thought that that's how you played <laughs> yeah. viticulture with like the four seasons and everything. And then we talked, he was like, Oh no, that's it. That's the Tuscany expansion. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well then yes, I like that expansion. Um, and, and so, and I know that that one is like, it's fairly systemic, right? Like they had to redo the board and like have, it's a worker placement and they redid all the actions, you know, it must be pretty systemic. But I think of like on the flip side of that uh, Game of Thrones with the uh, Mother of Dragons expansion ruled in that you can trade your power tokens. And that just should have been an errata a long time ago because it was something that was like needed in the game. And it's a very small rule. Like they, they should have just like released right. it as opposed to saying like, now you buy the rule book that says that you can do that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You also have like Seven Wonders. They just, I mean, re-release Seven Wonders. And I actually found out like a lot later that they had actually fixed some balance issues, that they had that they had changed some cards and stuff like that, which I appreciate that it wasn't like tried to like roll into an expansion or anything like that. By the way, I love the Seven Wonders expansions, except for Babylon. The sorry, Tower of Babel. The Tower yeah. of Babel expansion. <laughs> it didn't fit at all. <laughs> I had like a so, list of like four bad expansions, and that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah actually, it's I, three. I, it's three bad expansions, and Babel is one of them. I traded that one very quickly. I do think expansions in general need to stick around that $20, $25. Like it can get to 30, but I, like when it gets past 30, I, I hit what you kind of talked on earlier where for me, it's like, okay, I'm probably just going to start looking at buying a new game at that point. You know, $30 is like, I can, I can pick up. That's at least most of the way towards something else that I might be interested in. Yeah, I completely agree. There is one type of um, expansion that you don't see very often that I would love to know your guys' opinion on. Mm-hmm. Um, when it shifts mechanics, so you have a game that is very, say, worker placement, and the expansion kind of shifts the attention away from what the game was originally, which is like a worker placement, and brings it a little bit more to, say, an engine builder or something like that. If anything takes it more towards an engine builder, I'm all in for that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I I'm struggling to think. Like so, I I have in my list like expansions that make a game fully cooperative which I don't think is what you're looking at. What can you give me an example of something that like a, a something that changes the mechanics significantly? So I mean, one of the this isn't like a completely mechanic shift, but it's definitely like a tone shift. When you take Dominion and you add in like the Dark Ages expansion, yeah. it gets aggressive. Like just it <laughs> yeah. goes from like a fairly good just like a basic um, deck builder that's I'm doing my own thing. And then takes it to like, you are just actively trying to destroy the other people. <laughs> um, 
yeah, not like a complete mechanic shift, but a huge mood shift. Yeah, definitely you play it significantly different. Because on one hand, I'm like, okay, that's a great idea because I can take this game and now it turns it kind of into two separate games. If I want to play with this expansion for like a group that likes the aggression, that's a great thing. Or I can leave it out and play like the standard version. It Mm -hmm. makes it more versatile. But at the same time, I'm getting to the point in gaming that I'm just like, I know what I like. And I don't like aggressive games. I'm just, yep. I just don't want to ever play it. So why would I ever buy it? Yeah. There was a pandemic expansion that did that, right? Actually, honestly, all three of the pandemic expansions, I, say, I think were pretty strong. You know, they, they shifted a lot, but there was one specifically that added like a betrayer mechanic. Yeah. Yep. The legacy versions are notorious for that in pandemic. It's like, <laughs> okay. It's no longer pandemic. Like it is a completely yes. different game with the pandemic label. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, that is an interesting and then i'm going to reel it back to what we were what i had mentioned before is like expansions that make a game fully cooperative so like orleon is a game that is competitive in nature but then the invasion expansion makes it a fully cooperative game uh, and i know on mars has a um an expansion planned for this year that's called surviving mars that's going to make the game fully cooperative and i i really enjoy cooperative games i know dalton enjoys do you enjoy cooperative games I do. Um, they're not my favorite because you have just issues with them, like quarterbacking and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do enjoy them. So I, I, I have actually not played Invasion. I will buy the On Mars expansion, but I think that's just kind of a unique way to expand a game where it completely changes the gameplay. Where you you start to bring in like, oh, like I love these mechanics. Like I love the Orleans mechanics, and how can I like play it so that we're all kind of working together to try and figure out and i think orleon could do it well if you just like kind of do it in the base game where you're not looking at what other people are their actions and i think that kind of solves the quarterbacking problem um so i'll, I'll be interested that, that i've been trying to trade for that one forever but just never seem, seem to be able to grab it what about um i, I know i don't know I, I would be interested to sit in on some of these conversations um but every once in a while it seems like a developer or a publisher will have an idea um, to improve a game. And instead of releasing an expansion, they they go like kind of another route and just either rework it. I'm thinking like Terra Mystica versus like Gaia Project or like Azul where it had like stained glass and like other things that are like not actually an expansion. They kind of like feel like an expansion maybe, but you know, they end up being like actually a different game. I'm just, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that versus like releasing an expansion that could have turned Terra Mystica into Gaia project, obviously without the like <laughs> retheming or, or something like that. That's a really good question. Um, see, cause I kind of think I would almost like nine times out of 10, just prefer an additional game. If it's going to mess with the mechanics to the point that it doesn't feel really close to the original game, because let's be honest, if I want an expansion, it's probably because I love the base game so mm-hmm. much that I just want more of yep. it. So if you're yep. going to go as far as to make it a different experience, I might just prefer a different game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I think I'm with you, Dalton, mainly because it also allows people to get that experience that the designer is looking for. So take Gaia Project. Terra Mystica, for example, if they made it an expansion to make Terra Mystica uh, kind of with the added complexity of everything that Gaia Project adds, the modular board and everything, if you can buy Gaia Project for around $100, 
And if you wanted that same experience for Terra Mystica, at that point you'd be spending $70 for the base game, plus $30 for the ex- the first expansion, then $30, $40. For the ne- and so it's also a little bit more cost-effective way to get the game into players' hands um, with the updated rule sets, the updated things that you're looking for. So I, I think I agree with you, McKay, that it I do like it when the it's kind of a new game rather than like you can expand a game so much that it may just be worth putting out uh, the next revision. Not not like a re-implementation, not like Seven Wonders or Castles of Burgundy did, but like like that the next step of, you know, we, we've seen where this can go. Let's kind of re-theme it, let's re-skin it and implement our new ideas for it. So, yeah, I, I, that was a good question. My only caveat on that, because I do agree with everything you guys said, but my only caveat gets to like, if I already own... We keep using Terra Mystica, so I'll stick with that. Like, if I already own Terra Mystica, I'm not going to buy Gaia Project. You know, I'm going to be and, happy if you do, fair. Nelson. But like, yeah. I'm not going to go invest another $100 to get a game that's like 90% the same game. Yeah, that and that's very fair. Maybe you do both. Now, nah, that that just seems weird, though. If you if you expand it so that it can be, and then you also offer the game. Yeah, that, so that's this, when I go brain... buy like the Gaia Project, and then I buy the app for Terra Mystica for $10. Yeah. Or <laughs> App gaming is a whole other category that I fully yeah. <laughs> Yes, for sure. For Absolutely. Sure. So it kind of brings me to another point that I wanted to talk about, which are like the big boxes. So I know Hansa Teutonica just put out their big box where, or I know Lancaster has one, Carcassonne has a couple. And what these are is basically a base game plus all of the expansions into one box. And so usually these come with a hefty price tag. And but you do get a lot of content. What are your thoughts about these? Um, in the sense of like Ter- Terraform Mars just kickstarted one actually, so they, they put all of the expansions into one box and it costs an arm and a leg to buy. But I mean, they successfully very much funded themselves on Kickstarter because it's Terraforming Mars and they shouldn't be using Kickstarter, but that's a whole nother issue. Um, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like the big boxes, I actually have a huge problem with it. <laughs> Um, this doesn't <laughs> okay. make okay. sense to me. Um, so I say I have that game and I have all of the expansions. Why are you making the big box? Like, yep. who's gonna buy it? But it get it got funded in record time. I mean, the Terraform Mars big box had no problem. And I'm like, okay, you're appealing to people who know the game and know the expansions, and what you're selling is just a hugely tricked out version. And yep. So then your options, if you want that, are to sell your copy that is probably well-loved and <laughs> probably right. pretty damaged, and then to hopefully offset the cost of getting the big new shiny box. And I mean, Jamie Stegmeier also announced that um, that he will probably do a big box for Wingspan. And I'm just... A game know. that's two years old? Yeah, I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I just they they get purchased and they get funded and i feel like it's almost like a low blow or a cop out from a publisher that's just preying on these people's like if i really think i love this game and if i really want to be the collector it's almost just a stamp of approval and Mm -hmm. i don't know i i I have an issue with it i hate it when they come out with the big box because i'm like dang it now this this base game and all the expansions that i've been through the entire thing it now gets trumped by somebody who's just like willing to pay big money to get the big shiny thing no i i 100 agree with you on that i i don't like the big box i i struggle 
like I'm trying to figure out what the market is for them because if you love a game, you probably already have the expansions, and if you don't know if you like the game, why are you going to spend a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars on the base game and all the expansions? Why you can spend forty, fifty bucks on the base game? So, but I mean, hey, apparently it works, like because they keep coming out with them, but I. I've never been interested in a big box. It just doesn't seem like it's one of those um, things that I want to drop so much money on because it almost feels like a risk if you've never played it before. Dalton, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm. I'm I think I'm going to pretty much be in agreement with you guys. The nice thing is that it all fits in the box, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have this problem of all your expansions no longer fit in one box. Um, but also, I think my other complaint would be they have to be very strong expansions, right? And Terraforming Mars is not that way. Like Terraforming Mars has like some real misses in expansions. Um, and I think like a lot of games are gonna be that way. Dominion even ha- like, has like what, 12 or 13 expansions. Um, yeah. But like there are a couple a of misses in there. Yeah. Raiders of the North Sea, that whole series, they actually put out just a big box. It didn't include any of the game stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you could buy a large empty box with dividers and stuff. It was still more expensive. I mean, it was like $20, $30 just for a big. <laughs> and I think that went over pretty well also. Just as like, hey, you have all of our games. Here's a bigger box to put them all in. Uh, <laughs> That's a really good idea. Even just selling the base game in like a slightly enlarged box with like a an organizer, you know, just to say like this fits all the current expansions and room for two more or something. And I do think that's <laughs> the best execution of this that I've ever seen. They like redid the art to make it feel a mm-hmm. little bit more like, hey, I'm getting something new and different. Um, cool. But then it was just like, we know you have the game. <laughs> you're, you're looking at this at all. We know you're already familiar with the game and that you probably have it. So they just sold a bigger box. That's funny. I just picked up Marvel Champions, which is like a LCG. Dalton, I haven't talked to you about this, but we're going to play it here soon. But I opened the box and the box is Splendor size. So it's not the full size box. But I mean, like there, there's like nothing in the box because they know that you're going to buy all the expansions to fill up the box. <laughs> So it's just, it looks really funny. Like I opened it up. I like was looking at it and then all it's just like pulled out the rule book and it's just like nothing in the box. I was like, this seems kind of weird. Like, <laughs> so it is like but Splendor in that. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leaves room to expand. Yeah. I, I, bought I, a, I bought a new game recently and it had shockingly had like almost nothing in the box. And I actually got on a couple forums and people were speculating that they had left so much space in the box because they were planning an expansion. Trying to remember what it was, but I was like, "That's that's also a pretty a pretty ballsy assumption that like we're just gonna make an oversized box because we plan on it being successful enough for expansions." It is, yeah, because there's yeah, like co- that, real cost associated with that, you know, yep. for like just for shipping and manufacturing. Like, it's not cheap to just have unless it's as small, truly, as Splendor, and you're just going to like a normal size. Like, there truly is cost associated with that. So, I I have talked before. I hate big boxes, and I cannot lie. I <laughs> sorry um but but yeah like splendor enrages me um it, make the box the size it needs to be because we got limited shelf space let's just 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 make it smaller just <laughs> I don't know it's it's frustrating and I do think it's interesting I I I love the the Raiders of the North Sea example I think that's really funny that they just because those are pretty small boxes I've actually never played any of the Raiders series I've heard great things about them. It's just never been on my radar to try. But 
that like they are not seven wonders dual size but slightly bigger than that yeah yeah it's a super interesting i actually kind of disagree on the box size um i oh, okay all my boxes to be days of wonder like this big okay that and that's fair that's fair one so that they like sit on the shelf nicely um little little ones i don't know what to do with them they get lost in like a bin somewhere and i'm just like Ugh, if it was in a big <laughs> box i'd be able to see it nicely and i also <laughs> as an artist i want more space for the art i'm always disappointed mm -hmm. if you have crappy art yes please put it in a small box because i don't want to see it um <laughs> a big box with some big beautiful art is just so satisfying even if the game inside is small okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna break from the expansion topic real quick for kind of a pseudo icebreaker question uh which we, we we didn't really do this episode but what game do you you think has the best art Oof, it's a hard one <laughs> um there's there's a couple levels because there's art on like the cover so just a fun yep. development fact, you pay more for the cover art than you do for the card art. That's yeah. That's on that it's just how it happens. Really? Um, like all of the card art put together is more is less expensive than the cover art? Uh maybe not, but okay. um that's just depends where on the game. focus is put. I mean, take yeah. Dominion is a huge disappointment when it comes to art. Their boxes sell mm -hmm. beautiful art yeah. and the card art is shortcutted. <laughs> you can tell. I know it's probably not a game as we or board game as we would consider it, but magic, obviously, like mm. from the beginning, they showcase artists. They put artists' name on yep. every card, like huge props to um to Wizards of the Coast for doing that. As far as the I would say Everdell is one of the most recent that I've actually been very impressed with. It's a beautiful game. It is. And it's not that it's like technically like super proficient because you can tell like in some of the cards, it's like, okay, like they were obviously working through a lot of cards when developing this, but also a lot of thought was given to it. In each of like the creature and building pairings, you can actually see like the creature in the in the picture of the actual. Yeah, thing. oh, that's awesome. So just like the thought that was put into that, the overview of the glade itself, like, I don't know, just in attention to detail and like real passion, I think Everdell shines. It's got some table presence. So that that is a point that cannot be contested. It, it's beautiful on the table. Don, do you have an answer, real quick? I've I don't know. I've had trouble topping Mysterium, and maybe I just really like Mysterium. Oh, I do like Mysterium. Yeah, that's but, a good one. You know, just like because it 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 is pairing art with functionality. You know, like the art has like it has to be useful and it has to mean something, but it's still like such a funky like wacky style. But so that it can work in like a raccoon or a rat, like climbing into a pair that sort of looks like a light bulb. And it's like, I don't know, yeah. have fun with that. Like, <laughs> see if that works for you. you know. Oh, yeah. Mysterium's a really good choice. Uh, I think I would probably take the cop out answer wingspan. I just love the the water paint, mm -hmm. like look of wingspan. But if like, I feel like that's the easy answer. So my my non-traditional answer, I love the way Takedo looks, uh, which I think was one of your dalton's recommendations in a previous episode but i i'm a sucker for like the stark white oh man i just it that that is just and then what i really like about the art in that game is you can stop and collect sceneries and then the more you collect it's like a panorama and so like built oh yeah 100 percent would recommend that that's great art uh, but anyway so because we because we kind of 
forewent the icebreaker question. Let's bring it back into <laughs> expansions. Um, and I will, so I, I think of, there are a lot of categories of expansions as we've kind of talked about. Um, do you guys prefer expansions that add more content or that change something in the game? So like adding more content, I'm thinking of like um, some of the earlier Dominion expansions, like Seven Wonder Cities is, is one that just kind of like adds another card to your hand versus like changing stuff for the game, like a Prelude or a Tuscany expansion or Seven Wonders Leaders, where it actually like adds a new phase to the game. What, what do you guys prefer? We have such a bad habit, I think, as hosts of saying it depends. And so I'm just really struggling to not say it depends. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, like what I'm fighting so much. Um, I think overall, adding interest is, is is a big deal for me, as opposed to adding, like you said, just a straight content expansion. Now, there are like, there definitely are games that I really enjoy just a straight content expansion to. Um, but to take Dominion as an example, since you brought that one up, one of the uh, expansions adventures added event cards i think it might i mean it might have been either way i think so yeah it doesn't particularly matter um but i really like the event cards um i like that it adds like just a twist rule of like hey there's a slightly different scoring thing going on in this game and so that strategies that are like well established within dominion just like don't work with certain event cards on the table like it and cards that are less powerful all of a sudden are more powerful and so it just kind of rolls the dice a little bit in the rules as opposed to like you said some of the early dominion expansions that didn't introduce a new type of card or a, a new type of mechanic um, or a new type of keyword and it was actually just like here's just more cards you know it felt more that, that way right. and it's like okay I, I don't have to have that to play the game to feel like it's as successful um, it will just make different games for me and that's fine um, and I yep. like I'll still go buy it but <laughs> but I, I more <laughs> prefer the ones that'll you know change the game what about you Mike? I'm I'm on a similar I also don't want to give a watered down answer of sometimes <laughs> the other but that that is kind of the the case there are some that need content diversity and i'll actually talk about that probably a little bit more when i go through my picks um mm -hmm. for this okay. episode but i think in general i agree i'm less tempted by just additional diversity because i have a lot of games if i need diversity in board games i'll just let the game rest a while won't come back to it for a couple months and it feels pretty new and it feels refreshed a bit that's a good uh, point yeah i would prefer a game that actually uh messes with the mechanics a little bit adds another layer of decision making and plays off of the existing mechanics i think that's a really a really beautiful twist when an expansion can really play off of what's there giving you an enhanced experience and not just oh yeah well these are a bunch of cards that we that didn't make the first <laughs> right yeah yeah i i'm right there with you guys i think that what i i really like is when there's something new and i i get okay i guess this is kind of cheating i like it when it kind of does a little bit of both it adds new content but it also adds more of the same content um so like elder core did this a lot where you know they would add a lot of new mythos cards and but like they would add another expansion or I especially like it when the expansion content plays off the expansion content, but you can also play it with the same game. So I'm thinking of like Spirit Island. So like Branch and Claw, like they added all of these new tokens that you can place on the board and, you know, prevents build actions or prevents 
explorer actions. And then the spirits that came with the expansion, like the new asymmetrical player powers, played off of those a lot more. You could have like your old spirits and they would interact with them some, but then the new spirits really kind of interacted with those and kind of introduced them a little bit more into the game. And so I, I'm actually, I don't know, I, I did historically, but I don't know if I would go right now if I would actually even buy a more content, like no new things expansion. I just, I'm kind of, I, I really like what you said, McKay. Just sit there, like let it sit for a while. Like if if I need to spend thirty dollars to keep this game interesting, I would rather not spend the thirty dollars and let it sit on the shelf for two months and then come back and it still be interesting, type thing. So I, I really like adding uh, the additional con or the additional like mechanisms into the game. Well, awesome. So let's hop into recommendations. So kind of what we did for the gateway games episode is we have put out a, a significant amount of episodes talking about different mechanics of board games. And what we have done is we've divided those six mechanics between the three of us. So each of us has two mechanics to kind of talk about for different expansions. And we're going to kind of talk about what our recommendations for like worker placement or what our recommendations for asymmetrical player powers would be. Um, so let's, usually we just go back and forth, but Let's let's uh let's Dalton you go first then McKay and then I will go and then we'll kind of go in a loop and we'll all talk about some different expansions that we recommend to you guys. So Dalton, let's let's go. Let's have you go first. Yep. Um. So uh, I have I have two on my we each have two on our on our list. Like Nelson said, I'm just going to start with uh, co-op games. Um. So I chose uh, Mysterium, the Secrets and Lies expansion. Um, I did think about like Spirit Island, just you know, to assuage you, Nelson. I, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, <laughs> I, it was on the list, um, but I really like the Secrets and Lies expansion. So, for the most part, actually, it is, it is a content expansion. We've talked a lot about that. Of like, um, and Mysterium lends itself to that. Like, a lot of the content comes from just the cards. Um, one of the reasons that yeah. that can be helpful is there are some really natural combinations in like base game Mysterium that as you play, as your group plays a lot, you'll start to find out of like, oh, okay you know, this card usually means like this like person or it means this location or something like that. And there can, you can get to a point where some that can get a little bit stale. And so the, like just having an expansion that's maybe 50 to 75% a strict content expansion can help with that. But the main reason I, I wanted to uh, recommend it is because it gives you the option to replace. Um, so in Mysterium, you're, you're one person is a ghost and you're trying to lead your investigators to uh, figure out kind of clue style the person place and thing of the murder right that they're that they're investigating um so the, the third item or whatever you like mission or whatever you want to call it is they're investigating the weapon and that can be in my opinion really swingy right because it's like they're of them they're really simple like the the person cards will have like a person on it that has like an outfit and they have all these things in the background about like their interests or their job or like whatever and the weapon will like just be like a gun or a pot or you know or a needle or something like that and it gets really right. swingy in that it's like you either have a card as the ghost that gives a direct clue to that or you don't and they're really hard to get and it replaces that with these like story cards and so the idea is um, sort of like thematically it's like where like what was the last thing that the person saw or what was going on and so they're a little bit more i guess ethereal or messy yeah. almost yeah yeah um, and and so it gives an opportunity for first of all it is probably harder than just guessing the straight weapon. It's so much harder. 
yeah, it'll increase the difficulty for your group. But again, I think it makes it, you can have like some Hail Mary plays and you can have some ones, it feels like you always have a chance. Whereas the weapons, again, like I said, it feels like sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And I never really liked that about the, I think it was interesting to try Like, okay, we have two complicated cards. Let's do a simple one. It just, for me, didn't really work. And so those two reasons. And then also, again, it, it fits in that like 20 to $25 expansion. It's not really expensive. Mysterium isn't an overly expensive game anyway, and it doesn't really deserve to be and so i think it can add i think it can hold its own in that like 20 to 25 dollar range so do you yeah. think you don't mind me asking because i haven't played i played mysterium but i haven't played the expansion mm-hmm. do you feel like it falls into that like it's kind of fixing something that maybe should have been changed to begin with or do you feel it's- like between the content refresh and like the more dynamic like situation instead of weapons mm-hmm. that it's just kind of like expanding on the experience that's a really that's a really good question because I don't, so I guess you, both of you have played that, both of you have played Mysterium, just on a quick yes or no, have you experienced the frustration that I'm describing with weapons? Yes. Yes. Okay. So maybe, maybe in that sense, maybe it is fixing something that should have just been fixed in the base game. I think the reason it bothers me less is because I can see the thought, you know, like I can see like, okay, we, like I said, we have these two complicated ones, maybe a simplistic one, like it'll add a little bit of a different challenge. And I think it just didn't really play out. And I don't think it's broken. Like, I don't think the, the game Mysterium does not work with weapons. Um, it does. I just, you know, it's not my favorite part of the game. Um, so it feels like an improvement to me in that way. I don't know. That'd be my opinion. Nelson, you've played with both. Do you have anything to, I guess, add on that point? or like? I do really, I do really like the scenario or motive cards or whatever they are. So I, I said earlier in the episode that I wouldn't buy a expansion that just kind of like adds more content. And I feel like this one kind of does. But it also kind of, it does fix that last one or like the, it changes the weapon to a motive. So I guess this is a great, it also just adds a lot more of those beautiful tarot cards, which I really like. But, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that whenever I play, even with new players, because like it's not adding complexity to the game in the sense of it's not changing rules. Um, I, I always play with the motive cards. Um, I think it just gives a more interesting kind of more interesting challenge to the ghosts and to the psychics in the game. So I, I do like that expansion a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think now that I'm thinking about complexity, like, do I want Mysterium to be an inherently com- more complex game? Like, it feels like probably not. Like, I, I play it as a slightly more complex code names with my, you know, with my family. Like, where yeah. we're, we're going, it's like, okay, like, code names, you get it. It's a word association game. We're going to, like, step that up a notch. And if I was adding more to make that like much, much, much more complex, I think it would just kind of fall outside of where it slots for me and like maybe what my intention for it is. And I don't know, maybe what would you even do? Like, would you add a fourth phase and make the game longer? Then it might kind of feel like it's overstaying its welcome a little bit. So um, I, I don't know. In my opinion, I think there was wisdom in taking one of the phases and changing them to something that was like slightly different and maybe harder in case, because it is a co-op game. Sometimes we just want games, co-op games to be harder, right? If we get good yeah. at them. Yeah. McKay. Uh, let's move to you. What What is your first recommendation for an expansion to a board game? So I took worker placement and I talked about it earlier as one of my favorite examples of art, but Everdell. Um, one of the reasons why I thought it was worth talking about is there are, I mean, Everdell was released and the expansions came very quickly after. So there are three, and I believe Andrew Bosley, the illustrator, has said that he's working on the fourth expansion. There are a couple mini expansions. There's uh, Extra Extra and the Legends expansions. Um, then there's okay. like also a Rugwort pack that adds like three cards or something. <laughs> but those all come in the collector's edition of Everdell. But then you have Belfair, Spirecrest, and Pearlbrook. 
that if you know Everdell and the sheer size of that game, the boards, <laughs> the boards of Everdell just attach to the existing board already. So That's Everdell so cool. itself needs a dedicated, like good space. Then these just add on to every side of the board. So <laughs> Belfair adds above it, making it taller. Pearlbrook adds to the left side, adding like a the Pearlbrook or the pond. Um, and then Spirecrest adds on to the bottom. And so it's presumed <laughs> that yeah. uh, a named expansion will go on the right side and then hopefully they'll stop draining my wallet. But uh, <laughs> so I heard a lot of people say that Pearlbrook is the least of them, that Belfair is an essential, that it just adds, it's like a pure variety play. It just adds more cards. Then you have Pearlbrook that adds it's weird. It replaces some of the golds. Have you guys played it by chance? So I have played Everdell. It fell flat for me and my wife. I enjoyed it more than my wife did. And I was a sucker, in bo- or not a sucker. Like I saw it at Gen Con and I ended up buying the collector's edition of both Everdell and Pearlbrook, but I never got Pearlbrook to the table, even though it looked really cool with the pearls. And Dalton, you haven't played? Yeah, I haven't had the I haven't had the chance to. Okay. Mostly because uh, Nelson got rid of it before I had the chance to. My <laughs> <laughs> bad. So the what Pearlbrook does is it slows down the game immensely. It adds these pearls that are like super difficult to get, and then it replaces each of the four like um, what are they called? Basic events or something like that. It replaces those with really high value, like monuments that you can build with these pearls. And so what that does is, which this is, I love doing this where I dissect what the designer went through. Mm-hmm. I bet oh, you yeah. anything, which I would love if the designer saw this and reached out to me and told me whether I'm correct. I bet <laughs> you they designed Pearlbrook and nobody interacted with it, that it was just <laughs> not interesting. And okay. so then they made these monuments so good that you had to go to Pearlbrook and get some pearls because if you didn't accomplish one of those four monuments, you weren't even in the running. Like gotcha. you can literally double your score by uh, getting those monuments. Oh wow! Oh wow! And okay. I think that was their fix to kind of force interaction with Pearlbrook by making the pearls <laughs> so alluring that you had to go. Otherwise, you just didn't have a prayer of competing with them. <laughs> you guys don't like my expansion? Fine. <laughs> I'm gonna make um, you like it. And so I think what that did is it forces attention there and it slows the game down. Mm-hmm. So Pearlbrook as itself, I personally thought it was enjoyable, but I do see what people have a problem with. So mm. yes, set Pearlbrook aside. If you really want it, I'm a completionist, so I completely understand the desire <laughs> to have the entire thing. But Spirecrest is the one that is really interesting. It does not just add content it adds like you have this uh, little rabbit that quests through. It introduces weather that really uh, restricts what you're doing in different phases. Oh, interesting. So it makes some cards unplayable. It makes your production buildings not trigger at certain times. And so it takes what what you probably thought felt a little bit flat, which I enjoyed Everdell the first time I played it. But by the third or fourth time, I was like, okay, it's getting a little bit repetitive and just kind of like ending up kind of vanilla. Um the introduction of the weather and all of these things not only amps up the game because you do get benefits from like the trail that you uh, follow, but you also have these restrictions that get put in place. It really, it's one that takes Everdell as just like kind of a basic tableau builder that is way prettier than it needs to be. 
and <laughs> turns it into something with some real meat and thought and difficult decisions, which I think is a large reason why a lot of us play games is we want those really, those Absolutely. really tough choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Oh. As, as a whole, I recommend Spirecrest. Um, Belfair is if you just want the variety, the expansion of cards, if that's your thing, yeah, get Belfair, but you could bypass it and go straight to Spirecrest. They really hit the mark with Spirecrest in making. I love that transition from Everdell can actually be a fairly decent gateway game. It's not super complex. Mm-hmm. It really isn't, no. Firecrest, and it's just like, wow, now we're getting into some decisions that are really meaningful and that can really shine uh, like shine a light on people's decision-making skills. Yeah, and, and I think gateway games have a special opportunity with expansions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you're absolutely right that we as like heavy gamers don't often buy a lot of gateway games. Cause it's like, I I'm not going to see myself playing that, but it's nice to have a couple around, right. <laughs> so that like I can introduce somebody if needed. And so I think releasing an expansion like that uh, makes a ton of sense. Cause you're right. Even, even outside of the completionist, you know, I'm hearing this and going like, okay, I now, you know, I've maybe had it on my radar. Like, okay, if it's on sale, I'll pick it up. Cause I, you know, I know it wasn't Austin's favorite, but maybe I would like it. But now hearing, okay, there's these, uh, there's an expansion like Spirecrest that's going to take it from um, a gateway game that I can play with friends to a game that like people like Nelson and I might consistently enjoy. That that definitely ups the, I guess, uh, the allure or the uh, attractiveness of the game for me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's very true. I I do also think that it's really interesting that, like we talked about earlier in the episode about gateway games and how you, oh, you like this, maybe you'll like this. If you can do that with an expansion, so it's like, hey, you like Everdell, let's kind of make it a little bit more complex. And like just with the, it's much easier of a pitch to have people play uh, like the same game, just add it a little bit more than a completely new game, I think. And so Spirecrest actually sounds really interesting to me. This is, I've never actually looked into it. So this is the first I'm hearing about it. So I'm glad this is your choice because I don't know much about it at all. It sounds like it, it would be kind of my expansion. Does it sound like any of those things, Nelson, I guess, address some of the concerns that you had in your first couple playthroughs? I think the main concern, which I I would be interested in to hear your thoughts, McKay, is that it felt like so many of the cards felt dependent on other cards. And so with the Belfair expansion, I feel like that would almost be worse because if you're adding more content to the game, like one of one of the examples that's coming to mind is like the husband and wife card. Like you need, like in order to make it like work, you need the husband and the wife. If you're adding more cards into the deck, it's less likely that you're going to see that pairing. So does Belfort like change that? Or does it make it easier to see that? Or is it just like kind of random? Like, I hope I get the match for this card. So there are a couple things that um, I have to say on that. So Belfair adds player power. So depending on which like species you're playing I love at, that. It offers like some pretty <laughs> awesome asymmetrical gameplay. Um, oh, cool. So that's okay. one thing that does add interest um, and some kind of replayability there. In addition to that, what you're describing does happen a little bit. There are um, there are instances where you you need something in order to make something else even worth it, and if it's not there, it's just like yeah, yeah well, <laughs> I just <laughs> can't. I'll just look over it. That does happen to an extent, but they did a couple things to mitigate that. Um, the common events uh, that you put up on the tree that are like kind of the goals that you can accomplish, 
they introduced a bunch of those that are different. So in the original, oh, okay, cool. you have to have like the clock tower and the gravedigger or whatever in order to accomplish this. And it's like, you may not even see the gravedigger in the entire course right. of the game. Yeah. Um, they changed a lot of those common events so that they weren't specific cards. They're like a certain variety of cards or you have to like pay a couple resources. Oh, okay. You have to like yeah. trigger something like so many times in a turn and then you get it. So they fixed they fixed those a bit, which is funny to see like all these different types of expansions make themselves manifest in Everdell because I do think Belfair was a little bit of a fixing mechanic, especially for those uh, those common event cards. However, one thing that I do want to mention with Everdell and it completely changed the experience for us, making it so much better, um, is drafting. I think it was actually on the board of Avengers that we were in. When they said drafting instead of just here's my hand, that changed it so much because I pulled a card that I wanted. And then by the time I saw a couple other hands, its match was in there. And I was able to look at the the cards in the tree, the uh, common events, as well as the cards that chain off of each other nicely. And I was able to actually build like a beginning engine and get my feet off the ground faster. And so um, I would hope that in a next edition of Everdell or something, that rule would change it's probably not likely but um that does enhance the game immensely awesome yeah no i i'm i'm really excited that we had you on because neither of us have played that expansion so it's really cool to see a recommendation for a game that i i, I did enjoy the game uh, it didn't stick around in the collection but it's it's good to hear that the expansions are really good it sounds like the expansions are everything that i want in an expansion for a game like everdell so we'll move on to my recommendation so i i had one of my categories was asymmetrical player powers and so i i would be remiss if i did not say that spirit island jagged earth is the best expansion of all time and that is my recommendation but because i have said that so many times on this podcast I am going to choose something different so you guys don't just hear the same thing over and over again. So I, we did uh, a whole episode about <laughs> if you want to hear yes. about that expansion. So so I chose, which actually, this, this one was kind of hard because I was trying to pick an expansion that added more asymmetrical player powers to the, to the game. And so what I ended up going with was Scythe Invaders from Afar. And so Scythe is a game that we've talked about a lot of a lot on this podcast, Stonemeyer Games, where it's like this dystopian future where you're it's kind of an engine building, engine builder, area control type thing. But the invaders from afar add two new factions and the Totogawa and Albion factions, I think I'm saying those correctly. But what I like about these is the base game of Scythe, there are pretty scripted openings and strategies for a lot of the factions and what i like about the two new factions and a lot of people think that the factions are underpowered because of this is that they don't necessarily have the mech upgrade called speed which means that you can move farther faster and so that that was just a very common thing to upgrade and get into in sight so that you can move around the board a lot faster and these two expansions don't expansion factions don't have that i don't necessarily think that they are weaker they just require a significant different gameplay than kind of your your standard saxon play right like 
you you're not necessarily expanding like especially albion like you're you you're moving out and you're placing these flag tokens which make your territories worth twice as much and so you're kind of playing more of a defensive game rather than trying to expand and take over as much territory as you possibly can it's kind of interesting because i don't think it is a necessary expansion to the game if you play a lot of scythe then yeah i would 100 recommend this expansion but if if scythe is a game that hits your table every two months i this is not an expansion for you. So so it's a kind of a weird recommendation in that sense. But I do really like the fact that it requires you to think about the game completely differently in the sense of maybe I'm not just going to rush to the factory. Maybe I need to you know, build up a defensive perimeter rather than trying to expand as much as I can. So, so that's my recommendation for asymmetrical player powers. I know, Dalton, you've played it. Uh, McKay, have you played Scythe or Invaders from Afar at all? So I'm I'm trying really hard lately to hone in on like what I like in board games and what my preference is when it comes to gaming. And from the research that I've done, I know Scythe is a great game because it's been, I mean, <laughs> that's undeniable just from the following that it has. I think it's everything I don't want in a game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, that's fair. Preference. Um, I've been tempted by the app several times because I'm like, okay, that's a way that I can experience it without dropping like the $70 um, to get the base game. Right. Um, and if a computer is an asshole to you, you're like, eh, it's a computer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't like aggressive games. I don't love like dungeon crawlers, which I know that's not Scythe, but it kind of feels mm-hmm. like that. I don't love resource management. I find it tedious. And um, I just don't love area control either. And so Scythe just, from what I've seen, just doesn't seem like it's up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> and what you just, just described, I don't think it is. So, okay. <laughs> and it's long, right? Like, and I, I typically like tap out at like two hours-ish. If a game takes more than two hours, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll that'll be player dependent. We we can finish Scythe in like an hour and a half, hour forty five. Okay, yeah, I've done that before. My my wife and I had it on our five by five, and there towards the end of us playing a lot of Scythe, we were finishing in under an hour. Okay, um, that's good. To so, hear. yeah, I mean, but like, that's good to hear. But it, what you just described, I think, even if you can finish it under an hour, I don't think it's the game for you. So, I still want to. It just as like a, uh, I just feel like I need to experience it. Yeah, but at the same time, it's so expensive, and I'll I'll be very excited when somebody I know buys it and I can try it. <laughs> but I don't think I'm gonna buy it. Maybe maybe the three of us can try it on like tabletop simulator at some point or something. Yeah, let let's let's see if we can do that. So Dalton, I know you have played both of the expansion factions, and especially in the Rise of Fenris campaign, you have played the Albion, so you have a little bit more intimate knowledge of them. What do you think about the expansion? Real quick, like, remind remind me, is it is there anything that is added outside of the two uh, factions? Like, I think there there's probably some strict content. No. I think there's some new events and stuff, but... I don't even know if there are new events. Really? Is it just the two factions? I think it's just the two factions. I'm, I may be wrong on that. But I'm I'm pretty sure it's just the two factions. And like, if you have seen the scythe board, like the factions are printed on the base game scythe board. Which, to your point, McKay, like I'm also a collector, and that kind of you know that made it an insta buy for me because it's like okay, well I need I need to fill out the board at least, right? So yeah, and that would be maybe like my only complaint about that expansion is 
they are printed on the board. Like their starting locations is print, are printed on the board. And it's like, so am I buying the rest of the game right now? Because <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. there's only seven factions and you just didn't print two of them. But like setting that aside, that complaint aside, I do agree that they they function very differently, um, but still like very competitively. I love Albion. I think they might be my favorite faction to play because I just I find that like you said that they are more defensive they can make their own territories worse something and then they have like sort of a teleport mechanic that other people don't have easy access to and so I I find that while they are defensive they can be really flexible and flexibility is one of my biggest desires I guess in strategy games if there is asymmetry I really like for my faction to be flexible in what it can do especially in a game that has resource management right where which can already be a little bit rigid Right. So, so yeah, I would expect, like you said, if you're playing Scythe more than more than maybe once once a month or once every other, I think it will add the variety that you're looking for. I also that comes from like I play enough Twilight Imperium to desire like you know just the expansions <laughs> that put out new factions because I really like playing right. with different asymmetry. Like I think I like being able to win games in a different like starting position as opposed to just like memorizing a an opening like a chess opening and like oh I always play the Roy Lopez and that's my thing or something. Right. So yeah, I, I like it for that reason. Yeah. Speaking of Twilight Imperium, let's move on to your uh, next recommendation: the dudes on a map slash area control were you, were you assuming i was gonna pick twilight imperium i'm not saying anything i that i mean that was what came to mind when when i thought that you when you picked up this category so yeah yeah no i actually went with a game an expansion that i already mentioned tonight so game of thrones the board game um the mother of dragons expansion so game of thrones the board game is an obnoxiously long title but does appear in my top five games so it's a game that i already really like um we were complaining about earlier that they the expansion included a rule that should have just been an errata that you can right. trade power tokens. But good news for you, you don't have to own a rule book in order to play with a rule if you don't want to. So you can just <laughs> play with that rule and it'll make the game better. The two things that they added that I think add a, a lot of value are vassals. This first one is, we've talked a lot tonight about, yes. is this a fix or is it an improvement? This is one that tends to be a fix. Um, just maybe something they didn't really think about. I don't know. But vassals take any player that is... Well, to back up, Game of Thrones has seven players on the board. In order to win the game, you have to control a certain number of like castles, basically. And there's like, I don't know, maybe 20 scattered around the board, and you have to own like seven of them. And if you do, you win the game. And the problem then became, okay, in a seven-player game, that's balanced. But if in a four-player game, if there are three players being unplayed, like what happens to those castles? Um, they're essentially just yep. still on the board, um, but now they're free game. And so that changed the power dynamics and different factions became more or less playable depending on what other factions were being played and it just became really messy. So Vassals fixed that by saying, okay, now any player that is not in the game um, can essentially be bought by on the influence track and so whichever players are higher on the influence track get to control these vassals and so that changed something that was a bit of an imbalance in the game to really playing into the strength of the game which is the political sphere and i think that's what uh, mother of dragons really kind of upped its game on what we were wanting more of out of game of thrones which comes from a setting that is extremely political um and so like vassals was kind of like the first correct step i think in that direction the second thing that they added that I really enjoy out of that expansion is the um, the Bank of Bravos, uh, which lets you sort of buy um, very powerful things. Um, and so that can get you out of a pinch. That can put you over the edge if you need a slight advantage uh, to take over a, like a current enemy. But it will add uh, like debt that you have to pay back over the course of the game. And if you run into a situation where you can't start to pay or you cannot continue to pay that back, um, then you run into a lot of trouble. Um, so it, it, we talked again tonight about 
expansions adding interesting decisions. That's a really interesting decision that that players are now faced with at any time, and they can make basically on any turn. Of like, is now the time where I buy that really expensive thing? Um, and again, playing oh, into the great. politics of it, if you know, there's like three available or something like that. And if I don't, is my do I let that go around the table to my enemy who's now going to buy it and have a big advantage over me? So maybe I buy it because I just don't want the bat my other player to have it. So of those, I think two things, the vassals and the Iron Bank of Bravos are the, the real value to the expansion. It also adds um, Targaryens as a playable character. So it adds uh, Easteros. I know it's not called Easteros, but that's what I always <laughs> think of it as. Um, the complement to Westeros, it adds the other continent that's in the story. Um, and the Targaryens get to play. You can play them if you like to. They have dragons, which is really fun. Everyone likes to have dragons. They have a different win condition. And so I think that part of the game, you could probably take or leave. There's reasons why you might enjoy that. Um, I could see from a critical perspective that different win conditions in a game like Game of Thrones is really iffy. Right. And so I, I think I really, I've played Targaryens once and really enjoyed it. It forced a lot of politics of me trying to protect myself while my dragons grew big and strong. And then I won the game after that. To contrast, I played Targaryens once and I, did not like playing Targaryens whatsoever. So it is kind of like very player dependent on if you're going to like playing them or not. For sure. And that might just be a part of the expansion, you know, that you just don't play with, you know, that you leave out. And one of the cool thing I think about a lot of expansions that we haven't touched too much on is you can kind of cherry pick the parts that you like most of the time. You know, you don't have to include everything. Um, and Targaryens are kind of that way um, where I, I think for the like lover of the game, you will get value out of it. And, but you have to recognize it might not be everybody's thing, so it may not hit the table every time. Uh, but Vassals and right. Iron Bank of Bravos, I think, are really valuable. Yeah. And something that we didn't really talk about, uh, there are expansions that I would not play without. And I think that Mother of Dragons is one of those expansions, especially because you don't need seven players, six players, seven players to play the game anymore because of the Vassals. Um, seven Wonders Leaders is another one of these that I just would not play the game without seven wonder leaders. I just think it kind of, it almost feels like it completes the game, which is something that we kind of talked about not really liking, but I, I think that's a great, that's a great recommendation. McKay, have you played game of Thrones, the board game? I haven't. Um, I've actually never seen game of Thrones. Um, and so as far as like an IP, it, it holds nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's fair. I, I think that, okay. So the IP, I, I really enjoy the books of Game of Thrones. Season 8 kind of killed Game of Thrones for me. Uh, but also just the gameplay, I don't think that it feels like it would be up your alley. It is very backstabby, very attacky. I was looking at like Imperial <laughs> Settlers and I'm like, okay, that that's probably like the level of... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Dalton, I think that's a great recommendation. So McKay, let's move on to you. What is your recommendation for your next uh, mechanic? So I saved this one for second because it's hands down my favorite category of games. Um, I had deck building. Um, I nice. Love, I love deck building. Love it's it. like a nice. It's so good. It's so good. Right. Deck building and engine building are kind of the same thing, but I love like trying to get a deck fine tuned to the point where you, it can be reliable. Like that transformation of starting with an unreliable something and then based on your decisions, it's like, yes, I overcame like this obstacle that was handed to me at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the game is Mystic Veil. Um, I actually, I became oh, yes. aware of this game pretty, pretty recently, but I was very skeptical of the expansions. I loved the base game. Um, not only like, so if you're unfamiliar with Mystic Veil, 
not only are you crafting your deck, you have 20 cards, but you're crafting each card inside of that. So it comes so with cool. transparent cards that you slip into three slots and man, the, the possibilities just explode. Like you have things that will cancel out other things on the card. So you like buy that in anticipation of maybe getting the payoff down the road, but everything just has to line up. Like you have to get that card in your field when you need, when the card's up for purchase and I don't know, just the number of decisions uh, and seeing it all work out by the end of the game, you're playing almost your entire deck every single turn uh, right as the game ends. I don't know. The tempo of this game, I can't say enough good about Mystic Veil. And the app is beautiful and free. Um, no, it's not free. It's like five bucks or something. Like that. It's basically free. Basically free. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go buy that right now. Uh, the app's an excellent experience. Their interface on it, their artwork, their animation, it's all just great. So within that, the expansion, they have a lot of expansions for Mystic Veil. Now, this is almost purely a content expansion. I do think it's okay. worth it in Mystic Veil because of the variety of combinations that you have. A good example, so Veil of Magic is kind of like your next step into Mystic Veil. It doesn't do anything okay. great. It just kind of adds more variety. There are a couple cards that are like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. There's one with like two guardian symbols on it that can just if you can pair <laughs> that with um i think it's like not the grove keeper um anyway with the one that gives you um so that you can draw additional cards why don't i know the names of these cards i think i've just like summarized <laughs> them by picture <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i'm just like yeah i know exactly which one that is but anyway there are some nice things about veil of magic that are good but it really shines when you get into the veil of the wild so veil of the wild did something okay. really impressive to mystic veil um, first it added like a leaders function. So you're given two leaders nice. and you choose which one, and those are double-sided. So you can yes. upgrade your leader, but it comes at a pretty steep cost. Um, those do some really fascinating things. Some start with more decay, which if you're unfamiliar with the game, decay is what stops you from drawing cards. Once you draw like your third decay, you have to stop unless you want to keep pushing your luck, but you have the chance of spoiling your entire turn if you go too far. The, oh, the subtle push your luck in Mystic Veil is beautiful. And so what they did with these, um, with these leaders that you can kind of add, they will allude to a strategy that you can lean into, but they do not force it in any way, which is awesome because mm -hmm. you need to, it's making that decision of like, okay, so I have this kind of like path that I can start down. If you sell yourself to that path and it doesn't end up playing out, you're just not going to succeed. And so I love that decision of like, okay, I have like this inkling of where I could go and it could pay off, but you need to know when to abandon ship and just go for the straight, like unencumbered goal <laughs> that's there. The other really cool thing it did was it utilized decay in the game to be more than just an inhibitor. So it added a lot of cards that are like, if you have the most decay in your deck, then you get a huge benefit. You'll get an extra seven. Oh, okay. So it turned this decay into an asset. So there's one card specifically that has two growth and one decay on it. And at first it's like, why does that card even exist? Because the decay and the growth <laughs> each other out. It's an okay. awesome card because it gives you the extra growth, but then all of those cards that care about decay, it becomes that much better if your deck is starting mm. to care about having a lot of decay in it. It's just, so in my opinion, Mystic Veil is awesome jump to veil of the wild i haven't played mana storm which i need to i'm turned off by the title 
<laughs> doesn't start with veil, right? Exactly. No. <laughs> what were they I thinking? Typically, I typically play the game um, really tempted by mana. Mana is your currency for purchasing more cards. I always fall victim to over accentuating the mana and not getting the victory points early enough. Yeah, that big um, mana strategy. Yeah. So I go for, like <laughs> by the end of the game, I have like 23 mana built up and you can only buy two cards and they top out at like 10. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, there. So we, we did that. that's that's my first. <laughs> so I think when I hear mana storm, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> it's just gonna have so many tempting cards that I can't pass up. Uh, but yeah, so Mystic Veil, then Veil of the Wild, truly like takes Mystic Veil to the next level. I don't think like I don't feel like it fixed anything. It added a lot of just content that add to the vast number of uh, combinations that you can make. Um, and then the addition of those leaders is just perfect. I don't know. It's just the next logical step when you're like, yeah, I love Mystic Veil and I've felt it and I understand it. It adds the next step to just take it to a whole new level. That is awesome. So I have played Mystic Veil at Gen Con as like a, a demo and I, I absolutely loved it. But for whatever reason, it's not, and this is on me, like it's not necessarily a function of the game i have just not pursued it and so it like i am like amped right now because it's like okay yeah i want that i i really want this game because it's such a unique concept like the card crafting and everything but then like the expansion sounds like it just like makes the game so like great and so i'm, I'm really excited about that to see to see where that goes so i i play a lot of games two player have you played Mystic Veil 2 player? Does it work well with 2? Yeah, I think so. So they have a nice scaling in the rules to like uh, adjust the victory point pool so that you kind of run out oh, of okay, victory cool. points right as your deck is like at its prime. So you get like one or two turns of like your prime deck and then it's over. It's Oh, nice. And that's like the biggest complaint with deck builders, right? Is you like want to mm -hmm. see your deck perform its like optimally. Yeah, absolutely. Optimally yeah. as possible. But it always feels like you're just short of it. I feel like Mystic Veil, I always <laughs> see my perfect deck for like one or two turns and then it's done. It's just like a perfect Christmas. It's so satisfying. Dominion's the other way, right? Where you like peak something like three turns before the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. or four, so, and then you're like, I feel like a fool as I'm like tracking. Just end the game. I'm waiting right now, but if we go longer, I won't. I love the the sound of that expansion taking a taking a concept that was inherent to the game, but adding a twist and making it a making a new strategy and letting the because um, you're talking about decay and letting uh, cards that were in the base game now have a slightly different value or maybe have a different perceived, I don't know, usability or something like that, depending on the deck. And they're going to, they're just going to play a little bit differently. And so, yeah, I think that's, I think that sounds, that sounds really cool. Deck builders probably, maybe it's just the, the uh, we, when we talked with Charles, he said he had, he had talked with Donald, however you say his name um, from, from Dominion. Right. <laughs> um, and and he had said every deck builder's derivative of Dominion, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which, like, maybe in one in one sense is true, but I but I'll, it seems like my point is it seems like a lot of deck builders are probably built somewhat for expansions, right? They or at least it plays naturally right. yeah. for expansions. I would agree with that. Yeah. And to go back to our pseudo icebreaker question, the art in that game is really cool. I I, I really enjoy kind of the art and the crafting of the cards and everything that goes along with that. So. Do you want so, to finish us off, Nelson? Yeah, let's let's finish us off with engine building. So the engine building expansion that I recommend is 
uh, Underwater Cities New Discoveries. So Underwater Cities is a gets compared to Terraforming Mars a lot, which I think is slightly unfair. But like, so underwater cities, you're kind of expanding underwater instead of on Mars. And I think that's kind of where the similarities end. But New Discoveries is a is a game that adds a lot to it. And it does kind of fall out of the $30 to $40 price range that we're looking for in the expansion that we mentioned earlier. The New Discoveries expansion is probably, I think I paid $60 for it, where I paid $65 for the base game. And so saying that this is my recommendation says a lot because it was a very expensive recommendation. So it it adds, I, I, did, I did buy a new game and I loved the base game and... The base game is amazing without the expansion, but the expansion just adds that much more that I still recommend it. Underwater Cities New Discoveries adds, like, let's get it out in the open first, dual layer player boards, so you don't have to worry about shifting everything around anymore. You can you, <laughs> you can just set it and forget it. It adds more cards to the decks that you're that you're drawing from. So in underwater cities, you can have a hand limit of three cards. So it's adding to the cards there, which help you build your engine a little bit quicker. It adds a module that similar to terraforming Mars prelude that kind of kickstarts that engine. And so the game is played out over, I, I think it's nine generations, maybe 10 generations. Um, but you skip the first generation and you get like this kickstart, you draft your asymmetrical like start which is i think is really cool so uh you you kind of like i want this this start this is best for my strategy so i'm going to take this start and then you skip the first generation um so that that's kind of the engine building aspect to it but also it's it's a very modular expansion so you can choose what you want to include or not it adds a uh new asymmetrical player powers as well so in the base game of underwater cities you have the same kind of player power that you can use at any point to tap and gain a benefit. Whereas this, you kind of get dealt two and you get to choose, do I want, you know, this asymmetrical player power or this asymmetrical player power, whatever kind of builds into your strategy. And that really adds to kind of the game. It's not a game I would play with new players or it's not an expansion I would play with new players. It's very, like, it takes the beginning decisions of what do I, what starting tiles do I take? What APP do I take? What initial cities do I take? Very, it kind of really dictates your play. So you cannot play it with a new player or else you will, or I guess you could play with a new player. You're just going to kill them in your first play. Um, <laughs> so that they're making all the but, important decisions before they know how the game works kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. It is a recommendation that I highly, highly recommend even with its price tag it, it adds so much variety to the game and it even adds like a um, museum module which i have yet to play i don't have any desire to play um, <laughs> like i probably will play it at some point but it's just not like i don't i don't know it's just it adds a separate board and it adds new player boards that allow you to kind of manipulate and gain bonuses along the way but like the game is just so great where it is with the few modules that I mentioned that I I don't necessarily want the museum board. And so Underwater Cities New Discoveries is like perfect. And Dalton, when we played, 
uh, we did play with some of the ex- the expansion content. So we played with the asymmetrical player powers, and we played with the uh, kind of drafting your starting tiles. Yeah. So, yeah. So Nelson's whole take is, you know, don't play this with a new player unless it's Dalton. In that case, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I think you still won, so it's fine. Like, like <laughs> I do really. We we've hit on it just a little bit already tonight, but I, I really like modular expansion. I, well, first of all, I like modular games. I've been really thinking on and enjoying Taverns of Tiefenthal because I like that it's a basically a simple deck builder that. And, and again, like we said, deck building, engine building, very, 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 a lot of overlap there. Right. Um, and I, I like that it is a very simple deck builder that you can turn into a complex deck builder within just the base game. Um, yeah. And so I can see, and I think probably deck building, engine building, those are ones that lend themselves well to, um, to, to modular components like that, because it's just like uh, increasing, again, decision making. What are, what are things that are available to me? Um, but that are, you know, it's inherently fair. It's available to everybody, or everybody has something that's similar to, similarly available to them. Um, that'll let me kind of uh, try something new and keep the game from, I guess, getting overly, overly stale or something like that. So, um, yeah, I could see, I could see from just my single playthrough of Underwater Cities, I could see it having an opportunity for that because I think most of the variety besides that would come from like the cards. And then you're looking at, okay, are there different kind of card right. setups in the game or not? Yeah, taverns actually came to my mind as well as you were talking. Um, I've played taverns. I I I think I won it in the giveaway that Board Game Atlas was doing. Oh, nice! And I was super excited because it had been on my radar anyway. Um, and I love deck builders, but I've played it probably five or six times since I've gotten it, and I haven't included any of the modules because I'm like, you know what? I like it. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> while I know that I'll probably like it more with the modules, I'm like, let's wait until I'm like. Uh, it's kind of losing some of its appeal and then I'll throw in a module and expand it from there. Yeah. I love the I love the fact that I can do that. And I think we've arrived at kind of the expansion. The ideal expansion doesn't necessarily like change the game or like fix anything in the game. Maybe if it does, it's not a bad thing. But yeah. like if you can just deepen the experience, the immersion, the opportunity for complex decisions to where you can just keep yourself involved in the game. I don't know. That's that's really worth. I think that's really worth it when it comes to board games. For sure, absolutely. Like, what a way to cap off the episode with with that discussion is that adding the complexity, making the game more expandable. I I think that Taverns really does a great job without actually having any expansions and the designers having the restraint to do that. Yeah, yeah kind of like the honorable mention for the recommendations, right? Deck. Yeah. <laughs> the I'm game that has not. Yeah, hot hot take. Taverns is already a big box. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. They're way ahead of oh, us. Oh, that's great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. That is our episode on expansions, uh, talking about what we like, what we didn't like, and then kind of giving you some recommendations. So thank you so much. The McKay, the board game critic, for joining us. I, I really enjoyed this discussion. I think it was a great one. Can you tell people where the best place to find you is, to find your content is? Yeah. Um, thank you guys as well. This has been a super fun time. I do have a website uh, that's theboardgamecritic.com. Um, it's kind of just where I post my uh, written ramblings. Instagram is probably the best <laughs> You can find me at the board critic. I'm um, 
And yeah, that's where I do most of my shenanigans. And if there's anything noteworthy, <laughs> I post it there first. So perfect. Yeah. And as always, you can find us on Instagram. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and we have the Discord. So if you want to talk about board games in granular detail, join us there. Um, but it, it was a great discussion. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to to play Scythe with you on uh, on TTS. So that that'll be fun. We'll we'll see how it goes. Um, but cheers, guys! It, it was it was a really great episode. I'm I enjoyed talking with you all a lot. So cheers, cheers, cheers. cheers.